How y'all doing, folks? We good? Good. Guys, is it at the appropriate time now that I can say Merry Christmas, everyone? Yeah, I think so. It's, it's like December 10th now. We've got trees up and everything. And so I figure, I've, I've even spotted a few Christmas jumpers in the house. I don't want to admit it. Christmas jumpers are coming out. And uh, I would just reiterate, you know, what kind of these guys have, have, have just said. Brilliant opportunity to invite people to come along to King's, out, King's Arms. Check out the King's Arms for the first time. Check out the story of Jesus because it is absolutely transformational, all right? And uh, I was talking this time last year to a friend of mine called Pam Shattuck, and I was just asking her a little bit about her story. And uh, it was her who said to me, well, it was actually 45 years ago that she went along to a church service at Christmas time and got to sing Silent Night. And in her words, she said, as I sung Silent Night, I just knew that I needed him. Wouldn't it be cool? If this Christmas people realize and came to know again that Jesus is for them and he loved them. And so let's make the most of every opportunity. Guys, I've got to admit for a moment that uh, my family are big into Christmas, right? This was possibly the earliest because normally we're kind of 1st of December kind of people. But this year we put the tree up on the 25th of November. Please don't judge me, all right? Instead, you've got to pray for me that I'll get to Christmas without being fed up of listening to Michael Bublé and all those kind of pine coats falling around, right? But anyone else want to admit to be a November person? There's like three of you. All right, I'm in the club, don't worry. Well, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to do so. And uh, of course, I was particularly reassured because I, I came across a Twitter account. It's now called X, but it was like a tweet. And um, this guy must have been searching hard through the scriptures because in the message translation, he tracked down the fact that Jesus actually said this. And I quote, you can listen to Christmas music as early as you want. Who knew that Jesus himself was aware of that? I suspect it might not have been true, but you know, hey, well. Now, the reason it was uh, particularly exciting this last couple of weeks in the Wilson household is because my three kids are going to be part of their nativity plays, right? And so Lexi, my daughter, she's nine, she came in very excited about the fact that she's now going to be in her school play, and I was really eager to find out what she was going to be. I was like, baby, now are you going to be Mary? She said, I'm not going to be Mary. I said, you know, why are you going to be the, uh, the, the innkeeper who's going to say no to, to, to Joseph because there's no room in the inn? She said, I'm not going to be innkeeper. I said, well, you know, what, are you going to be one of the animals? Not going to be one of the animals. Well, then she told me, she's going to be narrator number one. I know, not just any narrator, ladies and gentlemen. She is going to be narrator number one, which I think is particularly prophetic by all accounts. And um, so obviously, as the dutiful parent that I am, I've been going over her lines with her so that she might know them, stand up in front of school and be able to share. And uh, I thought it was kind of cool what she's going to say. She says this, from the gospel of John chapter one, the word of God became a human being and lived amongst us full of grace and truth. That is a cool thing to be sharing in a nativity play, isn't it? And so I figured, hey, if I'm preaching on Sunday, it's starting to be Christmas, why don't I speak on the same passage? And so this is gonna be a little bit of an exposition, a little bit of a walkthrough of some of what John 1 says. Now, I have got two objectives this morning, okay? Because it won't always be the exact same as a normal preach would be, but I have two things that I really have in mind. The first of which is this. I want us to look again at the Christmas story with a sense of awe and with a sense of wonder. To be able to honestly just say wow at the incredible story that we get drawn into. And so listen, after three, I want to hear a wow. One, two, three. 
Very good. See, my first uh, objective is almost complete. Second part. Second part is that I want to leave you in a place where you, with genuine gratitude, can say thank you. Because he came to do it for us. And so, we're going to dive into this passage. But right the way through this um, Christmas period, we're going to work on the basis that actually we want to share the true story of Christmas. You've got to understand that um, for most of my life, I was not a Christian. Okay? For most of my life, I thought that the Christmas story, the nativity story, was nothing more than a fairy tale. And so when I started exploring Christianity in my mid-twenties, I was blown away by the fact that not just that it changed lives now, but this story is true and rooted in history. And so each of the characters that we're going to introduce over these next coming weeks, and as we even share stories about how we've been impacted by Jesus, we're going to hold this all together to know that this is a true story that touches lives today. And so initially, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you a little bit about John, because John is the person who wrote this particular scripture. But before I get there, it's just worth saying that at the end of this message today, I'm also going to show you a brief video, four or five minutes long, which is a drama sketch called The Everything Sketch by a group called The Lifehouse. And um, the reason I say that is because there are two references in there, one to suicide and one to self-harm. And I wanted this almost to be a trigger warning. If that was, would be particularly uncomfortable for you, letting you know in advance, just in case you wanted to step out of the room. But... Let us set the scene with this guy, John. You see, John, you need to know, was one of Jesus' closest friends. Okay? He was one of his disciples. He walked with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He saw the miracles that Jesus did. He saw his death, and he saw his resurrection. And so it makes sense that he would be writing chunks of the Bible. And so he wrote, for example, the, the book of Revelation. He wrote numerous letters, and he also wrote this story. Now, understand that John later in his life was boiled alive because of what he believed, all right? And he was also exiled to a place called Patmos in Turkey. And so he went through incredible torture. He went through incredible persecution for his faith. And yet not once did he recant or change his mind about the convictions that he had and that in as clear and as concise way as possible, he wants us to know that Jesus was and is God. So this is how John begins his true story. You can follow along if you want to. John 1, verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness shall not overcome it. Now pause there for just one moment, because what we need to notice, the significance of John's words, is because immediately what he's trying to do is startle his listeners, startle his readers, because they're straight away going to pick up, those are people who know some of the scriptures, that Genesis 1 starts in exactly the same way, in the beginning. And so he's correlating what he's talking about in terms of Jesus with God's creation story. Now, the reason that's so significant is that people who knew that God created, created the world knew that he did it solely by the power of his spoken word, the Logos, and his spirit. And so John is trying to shock people by telling people that Jesus' story didn't start when Mary became pregnant. It didn't start when a baby was put in the manger. It didn't start when the angel came to give her her news, it started in infinity past. 
because of the fact that God's eternal word, Jesus Christ, has always lived. He's been there forever. There's never been a time that he was not. So we're going to read on, but we're going to skip the next three verses because there's a little bit of an interlude where it talks about John the Baptist. So instead, we'll pick up in verse 9 where it says this. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, someone provoked me recently that uh, I know that there's a bit of a habit that I've got of I kind of stand, particularly starting a meeting back at the university, and I'll be like, hey, morning, guys, how's everyone feeling? Everyone ready to worship? And the reality is, if I really think about that, sometimes I'm just not, right? Anyone else want to confess Does that be the case? You know, so let's just say, for example, that I slept really badly the night before, as sometimes I do, okay? Maybe it's been a really busy, hectic, tough week, as I sometimes do. Maybe I've had a little bit of a fallout with someone in my family or a close friend, right? And as maybe less often, but sometimes maybe do. Or my football team has just lost as Nottingham Forest got thumped, by the way, 5-0 in the week. Sometimes all I really want is someone to start the meeting, hand me a blanket and let me curl up in a corner somewhere. You know, I can imagine just kind of waiting there. Life has been so tough right now. I'm going to wait there until the second coming. Yeah? But then there's other occasions when someone wants to start a meeting and they give me fuel and they make me realize just like this passage does that I've got someone to worship and to adore, to appreciate and to value, to connect with because there is gold in these stories. There is absolute phenomenal biblical truth, the reasons to worship, full of beauty, concentrating on Christ's mission, of course. This passage talks about how his coming to earth changes everything. Now, what we're talking about here primarily is a word called the incarnation. Now, you may have heard of that word before. It's actually a Latin word, okay? And John Owen says of the incarnation, now, he was a prominent minister during the Puritan era and is considered one of the most influential Reformed theologians of the 17th century. He said, the whole mystery of our reconciliation, that's our being brought back and reconnected to God, the whole mystery of our reconciliation to God by Christ lies in the incarnation of the Son of God. In other words, friends, this is a big deal, all right? But I recognize not all of us listen to uh, kind of reform, reformed theologians. So let me explain it like this. I don't know how many of you are particularly into cooking. In my house, I do the vast majority of the cooking, and I love it. really enjoy being in the kitchen. If you ever want to come around for a steak, my steaks are phenomenal. Just don't get into an argument with me if you want to have it well done. It's rare or medium rare only, okay? The other thing I'm particularly proud of in our house is the roast potato, right? I've spent years perfecting the perfect crispy roast potato. If you don't subscribe to eFocus, I will give you roast potato tips next time it comes out, so check that out as well, okay? But also in our house, we have things that Philippa is especially good at, okay? So if you want a spaghetti bolognese, she's your lady, full of vegetables, you can't taste them, brilliant. And then she's also particularly good at a chili, all right? Now, I don't know whether you're aware, but chili should really be known as something called chili con carne, okay? 
because of the fact that it's chili con, which means with, carne, meat. Okay? Chili con carne is actually chili with meat. And what we're doing is we're using that kind of Latin phrase, and it's birthed out of this same thing, the incarnation. And so what you can do is realize that God sent his son in bodily form, in flesh, in meat. Okay? This is what the incarnation is. And so every time you have your chili and rice or your chili and jacket potato, you can do it to the glory of God. Right? <laughs> Knowing that, I'm going to worship and I'm going to appreciate this very moment. You know, in the last couple of weeks, um, I realized that it's very easy to gloss over something which is a theological point like that. It's a theological reality, but miss the enormity of what the incarnation actually means. So I'm going to break it down for you a little bit, okay? In the last um, two or three weeks over at the university, we've had two brand new babies, all right? And there's always that real sense of excitement. We've had um, Lex Surridge, little boy, and Ava Kempsel be born. And obviously, parents did their kind of special Lion King moment. I was particularly worried about Phil Kempsel doing it because he's like six foot five or something. And so this baby was very high. But obviously, there's that kind of sense of celebration and sense of, yay, other people being added to the family. And it kind of brought me back to thinking about those moments when we had our three kids come into the world. And uh, right the way through her pregnancy, honestly, Philippa just thought that she was huge. Like, she's, oh, I'm just massive. I thought she was a proper superhero, honestly. And so she walked through everything that she needed to so incredibly well. She walked through the discomfort and the heartburn. She walked through the getting up in the night. And she even walked through when my mom said something to her, which was very awkward, when she kind of smiled at her and said, Philippa, you, you do know that Wilsons have really big heads, right? She kind of winced, but embraced it all the same. And all three of our kids were actually very big, so they were kind of nine pound plus. James was nearly 10. And yet, when they were laying on top of her, it was still something where it looked such, like such a small child. And it was so delicate, and they were so fragile, and they were so needy, and so very helpless. They were so vulnerable. And yet, when you think about it, that's exactly how God came. Jesus was willing to come fragile, needy, helpless, frail, vulnerable. His was the most important birth of all time. And literally, our time is divided by his before Christ and Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Now, some of you who are not Christians here need to hear this for the first time. I need to realize that he came and the significance of it. But you might have been here in this place for years. And it's just as important for us to reflect about the significance of what this means. He became flesh. Now, it does not mean that Jesus ceased being God. Rather, the Word, who was God, took on humanity. So it's not that someone became God, but that God became someone. I love what J. John says about the incarnation. He says the only person in history who was able to choose where he was born chose a stable. Isn't that incredible? Now, let me tell you a little bit why it's a big deal. Now, as you've already heard, I'm a Christmas person. 25th of November, the Christmas tree went up. And so obviously that does mean we've got a little bit of a challenge because my kids, obviously at that point, are then getting super excited about Christmas. They're thinking about the family time. They're thinking about the Christmas movies. They're thinking about the party games we're going to play. They're thinking about the gifts they might get. And they think about, obviously, the fact that we tell them every day Christmas is about what? Celebrating Jesus' birth. But they want to get excited. And so every day there's this sense of anticipation and the countdown is on and they're hungry to make it happen. 
And they have to go through with that. And they just about get away with it for around about a month. Yeah? But have you ever thought about what it would have been like if they had had to wait for generations? Imagine waiting for a promise to be fulfilled from stories that had been passed down through your family, sometimes for years, for decades, even for centuries, waiting on Christ because there is a promised savior who's gonna come and change the world. Imagine waiting for that length of time. Well, that actually is what happened. If you start to look through some of the Old Testament prophecies that pointed toward this savior's entry, for example, in Genesis 3, verse 15, right at the beginning of the Bible, it talks about how a son of Eve will ultimately come and destroy Satan. Praise God for that. They were waiting for that promise. They were waiting for the promise of Isaiah in Isaiah 7, where it says that one day a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, and God will be with us. They're waiting for the promise of Isaiah 9, where it says one day a child will be born, a son given to us, and he'll be known as the Prince of Peace. The promise of Micah 5, where it says this same ruler will come from a tiny and insignificant town of Bethlehem. Numbers 24, which spoke of a star that was pointing the way to find him. Psalm 72 talks about gifts that are going to be brought to him from kings and shepherds being told of his arrival. Guys, don't miss the significance of that. Hundreds of years before Jesus arrived, from a virgin, in the town of Bethlehem, with the shepherds, with the kings, Hundreds of years beforehand, it was prophesied. They were waiting for it. There was a sense of excitement, a sense of anticipation. And then, in an instant, it was fulfilled. In a day, and finally, the day is here. You've heard John's true story. Now, just pause for a minute, and let's think about Mary and Joseph. What was their true story from this time? Well, Mary was a teenage girl. She loves God. And she is engaged to a man called Joseph. So what is she thinking about, right? She's thinking about her wedding day. She's thinking about the fact that she's going to have this dress on and she's going to gather family and friends. She's thinking about the fact that she's going to make promises before her God and before her husband-to-be about spending the rest of her life and committing to her. There are a whole bunch of girls who look forward to their wedding day. This is a picture of my daughter from a few from a years back. There's been numerous occasions when she's kind of got dressed up. This is Philippa's veil. She's wearing Philippa's shoes and she's imagining what it would be like to be married. She even said to me at one point, Daddy, will you marry me? I said, no. <laughs> There's this beautiful sense of excitement, this anticipation. She is a virgin she has saved herself for marriage, and yet, just as Katie referenced earlier, she has a visit from an angel, and this angel says that you are going to be found pregnant with a child by the Holy Spirit. Now imagine for a minute, guys, don't miss it, how shocking must that have been for this teenage girl? In that day, women would have been disgraced maybe even put to death for committing adultery. And yet she loves God, she worships God, and she trusts God. That is a phenomenal, inspirational woman right there, by the way. She loves him, she trusts him, she worships him. So then we've got Joseph. Now Joseph is a good guy, okay? But the girl of his dreams has just become the fiance of his nightmares. She's pregnant. 
he would feel utterly betrayed. And yet, this Bible tells us that he, instead of putting her to shame, decides that he will divorce her quietly because the legal engagement actually is like a contract. So he decides he's going to divorce her quietly and he's going to try and leave her with her dignity as best as he can intact until an angel appears to him and then says to him, take Mary as your wife because this is a miracle. It's part of God's plan. The Old Testament is being literally fulfilled in the belly of his teenage fiance. That is an incredible thing. There is a lot of pressure on this guy, by the way. Imagine an angel rocking up and saying, hey, you're going to adopt God. <laughs> right? That's literally what he says. But I, you know what I did want to say? That if you are here and you are adopted, or if you are here and you are an adoptive parent, you are in good company, friends. Jesus himself was adopted, and Joseph, one of the most inspirational people that we know, was an adopted dad. People say, don't they, that uh, one of the big problems with Christmas is it's over-commercialized. You know, too many bells and whistles, too many things to kind of draw our attention away from the critical meaning. And I think that is true to a large degree. I would also argue that one of the issues that we have with Christmas is the fact that we've made it too beautiful. With all these images of sleighs and snow and hot chocolate in front of the fire, right? We've even romanticized images of Jesus' birth, right? You've got this, you know, beaming... Sort of smiling group of people all around this beautifully clean, stable. You've even got the kind of wise men who have seemed to rock up in matching outfits, all with their precious gifts, and you know, a glow from the uh, manger. The reality is, the true story is that it was a pretty raw occasion. It was most likely cold and damp. He was not wrapped in these bright, clean sheets, but he was wrapped in cheap rags. The store where he was born would have smelled straw and most likely the animal muck that's been left behind. God, incarnate, was born on the dirt floor of a filthy stable. But you know, instead of that for me diminishing the story, it makes me say, wow, and it makes me say thank you. I'm a big uh, sports movie fan. Some of my all-time favorite movies are the Rocky Collection, right? And so in Rocky, you've got this guy with this grit and this determination, this kind of you know, good-for-nothing young man who, with a dream and with a courage, one day makes himself able to take on the world and win world championships and, and finally gets to the top. Now, of course, that rags-to-riches story is something which is commonly seen in Hollywood. But you know what? Jesus didn't have a rags-to-riches story his instead was a riches to rags story, not often celebrated. He went from being a sovereign king to being a servant. He went from the glory of heaven to being alongside animals in a stable. He went from a throne to a manger to a cross on our behalf. He gave up his place in heaven so that we could have a place in heaven. The Bible tells us, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Or in the verse that we read earlier, the word became flesh and made his dwelling place among us. 
we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Guys, don't cease to be amazed by this. He is captivating and he comes how? In grace and truth. One translation of this same verse says, grace upon grace. And it was on a rescue mission for us and those people around us. But he was fully human. So as we've seen, he had a mother, he was born, he grew up, he had to learn to walk, he had to learn to read, he had to learn to write, he had friends, he was betrayed, he had emotions just like us, he was happy, he was sad, he cried, he had flu, he went to the bathroom, he was fully human and fully God. But aren't you glad that we have a saviour who can relate to us Everything that we go through, he can connect with, and we can also relate to him. A God who came full of grace, humbly, willingly to serve us, means that when we're struggling and when we're hurting, Jesus can identify with us. That's our Jesus. No, religion is about what you do for God, but Christianity is about what Jesus did for us. There is nobody like him. There was a point in the summer we were outside charging around, throwing a ball around, no doubt. And one of my kids came and grabbed hold of me and uh, dragged me over to the kind of side of the lawn where there was this enormous pile of ants crawling everywhere. And it was a little bit intimidating for my son. And so it was like, Dad, Dad, the ants are everywhere. And sure enough, they were charging around, causing a mess, intimidating him. And uh, he's like, Dad, I think they're going to take over the house. And I was like, mate, don't worry. We're going to sort them out. And so I went off into the garage and got my kind of pot of powder to go and sort out the ants. And I was thinking about it this week. I was thinking about it because I was provoked by the question, would I be willing to become an ant to reach the ants? (laughs) And I know the theology falls down. Don't pick it apart too much. But in a similar way, you know, even in our mess, even with our junk, with our habits and hang-ups, Jesus was willing to become a man in order to reach us. The, um, The Christmas story is a missionary story, and friends, I would urge you, make the most of our call this Christmas to be the sort of people who demonstrate God's love and his kindness to other people. He was a missionary. He saved us as a missionary. We should be missionaries to pour out love into our neighborhoods, demonstrating his love. And do you know what? I'm so grateful for the fact that he found me. So grateful for the fact that in my mid-20s, when I was addicted, when I was lost, when I was broken, when I was, had all sorts of habits and hang-ups, when I was lonely, when I was in need of purpose and peace, in my brokenness, he stepped in to help Grace upon grace. When we acknowledge that we have fallen short, it allows him to come and break into our lives and set us free to have life and life in all of its fullness. So I've told you John's true story. I've told you a little bit about mine. I've told you Mary's story. I've told you Joseph's. I'm curious, what's your story? 
We're going to land the meeting by watching a short video. It's a drama sketch that portrays and demonstrates just how Jesus stepped in, into the filth, into the mess, to rescue us and how he's victorious because of it. So what we're going to do is we're going to watch this and then I'm going to come and I'm going to close in prayer. If we can dim the lights and put on the video, that would be great. Thank you.
seen that so many times. And yet the way it portrays for me the beauty of all that drags us away from him. And yet how he stepped in on a rescue mission to save me and to save you. You know, I know there are some people in the room right now who have given, never given their lives to Jesus. And I never want to miss an opportunity for you to be able to do that. He came on a rescue mission for you. So if you want to give your heart to Jesus today and you want to put your trust in him, his life, his death, his resurrection, that means for you that you will know forgiveness from the past. It means that you will know hope for the future. It means that you will know the perfect companion to walk through this life with you. So if you never prayed a prayer to receive Jesus into your heart, don't be like that innkeeper who said there's no room here. I want to invite you to pray this prayer in your heart in response as I lead it. Lord Jesus, come before you knowing that I've chased so many other things I want to thank you that you came to earth to live the life that I couldn't live to die in my place and for my sin and I want to thank you that you rose again to new life give my heart to you now I pray come into my life make me whole and may I follow you all of my days in Jesus name I listen while every eye just for a moment remains closed across this room if you prayed that prayer with me for the first time or as a recommitment to follow Jesus today I want you to lift your hand real high in the air for me so I know the significance of this day for you. Guys, thank you so much for those hands that are popping up right away around this room. I thank God for you and I want to pray for you real quick. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you, God, that you're changing lives and you're changing destinies. And I want to thank you, God, that you step onto the page and you bring life and life in all its fullness. And particularly, God, for those people who have prayed just now, whether you are online or whether you're in this room, I bless you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, look after your dear children. May they grow just as you did in wisdom and in knowledge and in favor of people. And would they be transformed by the renewing of their minds? Listen, if you are one of those people who responded to Jesus today, there is this pack, it's a salvation pack, it's an outstanding resource, people who have just made that decision. They are available underneath the clock on the back table right at the back of the room. But I wonder whether we could stand together. I'm going to invite Katie and Andy come and stand with me as well, just for us to take a moment in, to pause and to express our wow and express our thank yous. So just come before him. Know that he's done it all. Poured out his love. Poured out his mercy. And we want to respond to him. Thank you, Lord. Fix your eyes, fix your gaze on him. He did it all. 
and he loves you, is for you. Step down into human history on a rescue mission for you. We stand before you, God, with thankfulness for your goodness and your grace. In Jesus' name.